Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. our summer together. We're, we're going to be starting a new series that's going to take us through the months of July and August, considering the book of Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs. And uh, why, why do we want to talk about wisdom? Well, I'm searching for wisdom, uh, and, I, and I figure that you are also on that journey as well. And how can we be wise in the world that we live? Because wisdom, uh, wisdom is, is so much more than just being good and moral and, and ethical. Uh, wisdom is discernment in decision-making. Uh, it, it's family, it's friends, it's workplace, it's relationships, it's your vocation. There's wisdom that's incorporated in those moments. I think wisdom is, is, is a deep understanding of, of others and of ourselves. And so we ask the question often, and it's what we're going to be diving into over the course of the summer, because I don't think it's, it's so simple as one idea. I, it's multifaceted. We ask the question, how do we get wise? Do we do it through, through learning or more education or finding a, a guru or a mentor or to be worldwide and street smart and well-traveled? All those things might be contributors, but I would say that the book of Proverbs says otherwise. I, I heard Tim Keller talk about Proverbs, I think it was about almost 10 years ago, and he was presenting this idea around Proverbs, and he's, he talks about the story of Miss Marple. I don't know if you've read uh, Agatha Christie novels, but it's this fictional sleuth hero, and the main character is Miss Marple. And she's, she's this frumpy, elderly, little old lady who, who sits around knitting, and yet uh, she always seems to save the day. And she always knows who did it in, in this mystery. She, she understands people, and, and she understands human nature, and how it all is intertwined, and how it all works together. And there's this comment made of, of Miss Parple within the book. It says that she has lived her whole life in a little rural village of St. Mary Mead. And she knows the whole world only through the prism of that village and its daily life. But... By knowing the village so thoroughly, she seemed to know the whole world. So while the author is, is doing something to make us understand the character, I think it's actually a statement very close to what Proverbs has to say. Because here's the greatest in this alternate reality, the greatest criminologist in, in all of England. But she's not a world traveler. She's not particularly well-educated, and she illustrates that often the secrets of wisdom are locked in our ordinary experiences, your common experience. And I think when we can tap into that, we start to operate within wisdom in a different way. The book of Proverbs that we're going to be traversing through is a little bit different than some of the other texts that maybe you've engaged with when it comes to the, to the Bible. Uh, it, it doesn't have a, a specific overview of a timeline. It's riddled with ideas and idioms for the, for the reader. And it's unique in a lot of those ways. 
it's a collection of, of, of proverbs for us to consider. It does have a structure of some sort because it begins by praising wisdom and continuing that all the way through. And wisdom isn't some abstract idea. In fact, what, what the author does is it presents wisdom as a person, metaphorically as lady wisdom, and, and even presents to us the idea that wisdom was part of creation. In the very beginning, God creates wisdom who watches and applauds as God goes on to create the heavens and the earth. But in addition to this interesting piece of a backstory in the Bible as a whole, I think the Proverbs plunges onwards with a fairly long catalog of different ideas, some of which are attributed to King Solomon, some of which are attributed to assortment of unknown wise men and wise women. And the themes of Proverbs are fairly simple. Love wisdom and, and seek it with all your heart. Be righteous and wise. Don't be wicked or foolish or lazy or fall prone to temptation or be a temptation. And then sometimes, semi-frequently, Proverbs tosses in uh, a practical piece like don't eat too much honey or it'll make you sick. It says it in Proverbs 25. So this is, what, this is the overview of where we're going to be diving into over the summer. And, and I hope you can remember some of those ideas as we consider specific thoughts of Scripture. So we're going to be starting in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Uh, I'm going to be reading from verses 13 to 23. And this is not on the team in the back. I forgot to give them the verse. So you're going to have to bear with me as I read. So oh, there you go. So Proverbs 3 verses 13 to 23 says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. And then I'm going to read... Uh, Chapter 10, verse 16, and verse 25. It says, The wages of the righteous life is life. Uh, wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. That's where we're going to spend our time today. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways in which it guides us and shapes us. Pray our hearts are open and ready to receive correction and guidance, challenge and encouragement. Wherever we find ourselves today, I pray our hearts would be soft and tender to respond to the promises of your word and the truth it gives us in the current season we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, according to the book of Proverbs, there are two particularly fairly common experiences that we come across. 
to particular situations that happen with a certain amount of regularity. And that when you're in either of these situations, you're either in a moment of of great spiritual danger or great spiritual opportunity. They are tests. And if you've ever had a test before, like we all have, if you pass the test, I think you, you feel pretty good. And for these ones in particular, if you pass these tests, you're more likely to get a little more wise about the world, about human nature, about how things work. But the way the Proverbs talk about it is if you fail the tests, you don't respond properly in those situations, it leads you down a path of, of foolishness. And you might become hard and bitter and out of touch with how things are and who you are. So the question is, what are those two tests? Why do they work? And how do we actually pass them? So first of all, what are they? Uh, well, we'll look here at the chapter uh, 3 of the book of Proverbs. And early in the cha- chapter, you see a, a, perhaps a commonly known verse. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And, and, and that, that is wisdom because our lives, and I think we can all agree on this, our lives are inundated with moments where there are forks in the road. Decisions that are required. And you come to a situation, should I take this job? Should I go to school? Should I do this? Should I be in a relationship with this person? Should I, should I fight for reconciliation? Whatever it is, there, there are forks in the road that we are consistently faced. And the promise of Proverbs 3 is that when we trust in the Lord, God is with us in that decision. You have all these forks in the road, and and sometimes when we think about making good decisions, we isolate them to a singular response. But the promise of Proverbs is not that you would make one good decision, but that there would be good decisions made over and over and over again. Because in fact, a singular decision that is good is not wisdom, but a posture of our life that is leading us down a path that is reflective of Christ. That is a true reflection of wisdom at work. There are forks in the road everywhere we go. Uh, we were on a walk with uh, Mark and Allie, two friends of ours that are just about, the, they're about to traverse Europe for six weeks. And so we figured we would catch up with them right before they left. And so we went out for a walk with them with baby Mia. And uh, sometimes decisions for myself before my wife and my baby were a little bit different <laughs> than they are now. Uh, going on a walk, I would probably be more prone to Go wherever the path might not seem to go. If it takes me through the brush, over a stream, through some rocks, I'm going to go there because it looks like a lot of fun. But we're on this walk on, I believe it was uh, Friday, and nowhere so dramatic. Don't worry, I'm not taking anyone uh, to such dramatic spots at this point. She's a little over three weeks. It's it's not there yet. Uh, But we're, we're going down this path, and it branches, and down the left is, is some brush, but it looks a little bit mysterious. We're not really sure where it's going to take us. And then down the right, it seems like that is where we're supposed to go. That's the path as it should be. And my natural inclination, I was like, oh, let's go this way to the, to the unknown, to the mystery. It seems like fun. And then my wife looks at me and says, I don't know if that's the best decision. 
Wisdom spoke a little bit in that moment. In that moment. Lady Wisdom spoke in, in that moment for both my safety and for the babies. <laughs> that, that was a branch of decision making that led to a moment of, of walking. Uh, getting to this point here on this Sunday morning, getting to a point where I have a family and, and, and there's kids and there, there's all those different things. Uh, I think back to the moment in which I had to make a decision in which to follow what God had placed upon my heart to come out here to the Lower Mainland. That was a branch in a decision to to pick a place in where we were going to plant the church. That was a decision. To, inv- to invite someone that maybe we had never met before to come to church, that was a decision. It's decision upon decision upon decision. And I don't know about you, but an awareness of all that it is, I greatly desire wisdom to be part of the decision-making process. Because my quantification of an experience might not always be the truest representation of it. When when we face decisions, these are the two tests that we kind of put wisdom up against. Success or failure. Or as the Proverbs communicate, the language of the Proverbs use is prosperity and adversity. Does your decision create prosperity? Does it create adversity? Is it taking place in a moment of prosperity? Does it take place in a moment of, ad- of adversity? Our lives are riddled with decisions with, which, po- which foster two possible outcomes, prosperity or adversity. And these are the two tests of wisdom that are placed within the Proverbs. Because no matter who you are, even if you showed up this morning and, and you did your devotions, you prayed on your way to church, you did not get upset with your significant other or friend or whoever you came with to church this morning, you were actually in a really good mood. The rain did not bring you down. You, felt, you saw sunshine where rain was. You were at the highest moment that you could possibly be. You were as close to God as you have possibly thought you could get. I have to break it to you that there is still a high likelihood that we will experience Adversity. You and I will experience prosperity, adversity, success, suffering, everything going your way and nothing going your way throughout your life. Now, most of the time, we don't experience a great deal of either. In fact, I think there's a kind of balance that's going on, but we all have times of success and we'll have times when nothing seems to go our way. And there's nothing more spiritually dangerous than, than simply succeeding. And there's nothing more spiritually dangerous than suffering. Both, both are dangerous. I'm not trying to elevate one or the other because that's not wisdom, what wisdom does. What those two experiences do, what the test is that they actually provide, both prosperity and adversity bring out things in our hearts that we did not know was there. That you don't expect to be there. That you didn't plan for it to be there. But these two situations bring them out. And the challenge that we're given is when we have success and you respond in a way can we be honest with ourselves about that response? When we have failure and we respond in a way, can we be honest with ourselves about the response? 
Because we can repress it and we can blame it on other people and we can become more and more of what the Proverbs call an individual on the foolish road. There is no such thing as simply holding neutral in a life full of decisions. We are always undergoing a shift. So let's consider the two tests at hand. Proverbs 10 considers it both in verse 16 and verse 25. In verse 16, it says, The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. And then verse 25 says, When the storm is swept by... The wicked are gone, but the righteous will stand firm forever. Verse 16 is really interesting because it uses language that's really striking. It's surprising. Income, wages, prosperity, investments. You're getting your dividends. You're going to get your return. Here comes the money. What are the righteous and what are the wicked? In the book of Proverbs, the righteous is defined as those who disadvantage themselves for the community. This is something we often talk about at City Collective and making sure we understand language like righteousness. Righteousness is to be centered around right relationship with God. Therefore, such a definition of disadvantaging ourselves for the community is being righteous, that definition seems incredibly apt. It seems actually reflective of this, the, the Trinitarian nature of God, that the Son would disadvantage himself for the world. There is wisdom at work for that to take place. And the wicked, by definition, are those who disadvantage the community for their own interests. And what this is saying is that if you are wise and unselfish, prosperity will make you more wise and unselfish. But if you are foolish and selfish, the worst thing that could happen to you is that your dreams come true. The worst thing that could happen to you is that success will just simply confirm you in that path. In the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul says, what's the worst thing that God can do to you? What's the worst thing that God can do to those who are resisting his will? He gives them their desires. So do you know what that means? The the worst thing that God could possibly do to you if you're a selfish person is to let you live a good life. Seems contrary to what culture says is success. But it's saying that there's nothing worse than that. But it's just not just pointing to success. In the next verse that we read, in verse 25, it's not the point of success or prosperity is bad for you, but that this is one of the tests and adversity is the other. The next verse says, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous will stand forever. And this verse directly is after that one of prosperity. And it's communicating that adversity reveals the foundation of our life. It reveals who you are. And if you're already moving in the direction of selfishness and foolishness, well, it's, it's going to make it far worse. It's going to reveal what's actually taking place. But the way that you're, you know that you're operating in, in generosity and an unselfish nature is that when we can actually face suffering and it doesn't overthrow you. 
This is the, the test at hand. The way that you know that you're on the path forward, being like God in wisdom and knowledge, is that you can handle trouble. And this takes time and wisdom. I think about sports teams that find success over a period of time. They always talk about that uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They won. They came went three straight Stanley Cup finals. They won two straight. But the year before, they had to lose in four straight games and face a little bit of adversity. They had to understand what it was to face some challenge. They had to understand that the the, the moment in which they experienced failure didn't overcome them but they went forward in it. I feel like it's the same concept within our approach to, to, to wisdom in our life. We are going to face adversity and trouble. The challenge is not that you get it right every time and somehow find success. The challenge is very simply, can we find firm foundation in our relationship with God, finding wisdom in the character of God so that it does not overthrow you? That the storm will come, but wisdom founded in Christ makes our firm foundation possible so we are not overthrown by the storm. So why do we function, see these two things function as tests of wisdom, prosperity and adversity? Because they do two things, and, and this is what I really want you to remember. Prosperity and adversity. They show you the evil of your heart in general, and they can show you the idols of your heart in particular. Tim Keller talks about that very specifically. He says that shows you the evil of your heart in general and the idols of your heart in particular. Sometimes when we consider our relationship with God in perspective of our life, we think that God is all about simply giving us a good life. The reality is there is brokenness in the world around us. And we are forced to face that every single day. But we've been given a good God who wants to walk with us in the midst of that adversity, in the midst of the success. Because those things are not what God is trying to point us towards, he's trying to point us towards him. One of the deep-seated idols that has overcome our culture is this heart of admiration and recognition from others. I think this is one of the idols that comes to the forefront when we consider success and adversity. And that idol comes to the forefront in both situations. We live in a world that thirsts for recognition. And it's woven into everything. Social media, it's the, it's the likes that you get. It's the gamification of things. It's rewards. It's public proof. It's, it's moved towards from cultural nudges to, to social recognition. And if we're not careful, this bleeds into the way that we treat one another. If we treat our spouses and our friends and our kids and our, and our church family, and we're always seeking the recognition of others, and what this ends up doing is it leads us to a place, what the Proverbs say, where we are going down a foolish path. Because here's what happens. We achieve success, but it's only success if another recognizes it as so. 
We face failure and adversity, and we only feel that deep shame because of the way that others perceive us. How quickly we are to hide what is wrong in our life because we don't want others to see that we have fallen short. In, a, in another lifetime, I was applying for medical school, and I had a pretty good idea that I wasn't going to get in. That I, I, I had always had like my life kind of geared towards it, but I wasn't... I, I didn't think I had the grades, but I was still going to apply. I was going to push through. I was going to do all the other things, going to check all the other boxes. But I remember so specifically my fear of failure was manifesting in that I did not want to talk to anyone about my process. I did not want to get any help. I was so concerned about that, that idol of recognition that whether it was success or whether it was adversity, wisdom was not operating for me. I didn't want people to see either side. And it, and it overwhelmed me to the point that my decision-making was based upon the recognition of others rather than the wisdom of how to approach it the best way. And, and here's the thing. So often we associate wisdom as this purely intellectual action. When in fact, wisdom is foundation for the way in which we are able to actively love others. Because wisdom turns the attention away from ourselves. Where culture desires outside recognition, wisdom turns the attention away from ourselves. When our lives are filled and lived for the attention of others, we are no longer loving those in front of us. We are performing for those far from us. As uh, I've heard Joseph Gordon-Levitt say it, wanting attention is stopping us from paying attention. Most of the stuff that makes followers of Jesus great in the world are done in obscurity. Love is rarely noticed in the moment, celebrated for its sacrifice or seen for its worth. Love just does what's needed for the sake of others. That's how wisdom actually operates for us. But the temptation of our culture is that we should turn our attention inward because that is the way in which we will find personal success. Whereas the proverb states that for wisdom, nothing compares to her. Where temptation would alter the natural order of things, God's design for the world is based on harmony and mutual cooperation. So this is my challenge for you this morning. When you face those moments of success or prosperity or failure and adversity, ask the question, what is shown in your heart and what idols are revealed in particular? Be honest. How does success cause you to respond? How does adversity cause you to respond? And I think often we actually respond really well in one or the other. Maybe in the midst of success, you can say, I actually feel like I'm pretty humble. But then adversity comes and we feel shame because of what other people think about us. Or perhaps success, uh, adversity, you, you feel 
a sense of humility and you feel a a response comes out of you that says, you know what, I'm going to get the help that I need. I want to be able to survive this season. But when success comes, it seems like despite the words that might come out of your mouth, your spirit is pointing inward as the reason for the success. We need to be honest in our pursuit of wisdom. Because wisdom replaces the temptation of recognition with the reward of love. Recognition is unstable and fleeting. Love is secure and everlasting. And this is what wisdom does. Wisdom overwhelms the seduction of worldly recognition with the truth of God's provision. And when we hold true to that provision that God gives to us, then in my moments of success, I point to him. In my moments of failure, I go to him. In my moments of of adversity, I, I look to a good God that's been faithful in every season. And in my moments of prosperity, I give thanks to a God that is always faithful, no matter what my life might look like. Wisdom overwhelms the seduction of worldly recognition with the truth of God's provision. Most of Jesus' life was done in obscurity. 90% of Jesus' life took place in the shade, only 10% in the sun. He was simply loving and living and serving and being present with those around him. And this was true even in his public ministry. Let's look at what he did all throughout his ministry. Jesus constantly did miracles with just him and, and another. Jesus empties the room and left the crowd outside when he healed Jairus' daughter. He led the man out of the village before he spat and healed him from blindness. Jesus, he wandered into Samaritan territory to save the woman at the well. Jesus didn't need attention. He was giving attention to those who needed grace, restoration, healing, and love because he was wisdom in all of those ways that every time success came, he responded with wisdom. Every time that adversity came, he responded with wisdom. And what was wisdom? It was going to the Father. Wisdom was finding his strength and the character that God had placed within him that was beyond his selfish desires. Wisdom is a humble platform that doesn't seek attention, but rather gives attention. And church, God has called you to pour yourself out for those in front of you, not perform for those who are looking over your shoulder. The recognition can wait. His grace is more than enough. And the provision that he has shown stays true in every season. So may we not fall prone and be seduced by the temptation of success or the temptation of adversity. But may we discover God's faithfulness is true and his provision is full in every season we're in. That is the wisdom that we're given. Worship team, can you join me at the front? We're just going to close in a song this morning. And I would invite you to stand with me. As we're singing, I know for myself when I was asking that question this week, uh, I think any, any pastor you'll, you'll talk to, that when you're preaching something, you're often going through your own little heart surgery in the process. 
asking the honest question of myself, how do I respond in the midst of my success? What's the honest heart posture that I've taken? How do I respond in the midst of adversity? What's my honest heart posture? And that's the question I would ask of you in this moment of worship. Can we be honest with ourselves? Have we fallen prone to the recognition of others? And can we come back to a good God, repent, and discover his grace is more than enough to give us the healing and restoration that we so need? Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.